it's one of those things where if I if I get to heaven, right, and God says, "Hey, uh, you did this wrong," yeah, <laughs> it's I'm not going to fall in a pile. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be like, well, okay, I thought I'm I could have been doing it wrong, <laughs> but I really, you know, based upon this passage. You know, when I look at this, well, that I was that was in a certain context, Dave. I'm like, I know it really told me that, but um I'm William. I'm Dave. Dave is my pastor. Willie is a hospice chaplain. And we've been friends for more than 20 years. We've had thousands of conversations about things that matter and things that don't. So now we're inviting you to join in. Each week we pull a topic out of the hopper and talk about it. This is the Hopper Podcast. Hey, Dave, you and I are both pastors in our denomination. And one of the privileges that we have in that role is to give communion to people. It's right. one of my favorite things to do as a pastor. Uh, and as I have studied the scriptures, I have come to a position about that that is not very popular. Okay. Yeah. I think, I really believe that we should be giving communion to infants. How young are you talking about? Uh, as soon as we baptize them. Now, we're Presbyterians, okay. and so we, we uh, baptize infants. Um, uh, we've talked about infant baptism in the past in previous episodes. You can go back and kind of look at that if that's something that you're curious about. But yeah, as soon as we baptize people, I think that we should give them communion. Okay. Yeah. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you. And I know, yeah. so, so I'm pretty sure that you do not believe that. Uh, you know, I've, um, uh, I'm going to wait and let you explain some of the things you're going to say, uh, but there, there are a few uh, points that have made me sympathetic yeah. um, and, and really deeply consider it, but I have eventually fallen on the, uh, no, we want, um, we want to wait until they're older. Yeah, and that's typical of most churches, and our denomination mm-hmm. does not allow me to give communion to infants, and I never have. And mm-hmm. I'm and I'm happy to submit to that. And yet, right. I I will argue that I think that this is right. Let me let me uh, let me give you three reasons: a biblical reason, a theological reason, and a historical reason. Okay. Okay. So here they are: biblical reason. The main text, in fact, the only text that I'm aware of that says that we should exclude children from communion is in First Corinthians 11, and particularly verse 28. Mm-hmm. Um, where he says that uh, a, a person must examine himself before he comes to take communion. Now, uh-huh. uh, he is obviously warning some group of people not to participate in communion, but I don't think he is talking about kids. I don't think okay. kids are in view here at all. Instead, what he's doing, he's referring to a division in the body of Christ. He's warning against wealthy people excluding poor people from that celebratory meal in the worship service. Mm-hmm. He is correcting a particular problem in a particular church rather than giving generic advice that should be a template for all people for all time. When he says, let a person okay. examine himself, I think what he's referring to is those wealthy Christians who are excluding the poor members of the church from the right. celebration of worship uh, by not waiting for them. They were, they were eating and then taking communion before the poor people who had to get off work were, were going to show up later. And he, they, they, they're going ahead and doing their communion and getting out of there. Um, uh-huh. And Paul's complaint is about the lack of unity in the body of Christ in that whole section of the book. In fact, the next chapter strongly argues for the unity of the body of Christ despite differences in spiritual gifts and racial identities. Right. You know, right. economic class. So he, uh, that's First Corinthians twelve. It seems to me very clear that the context of the unity of Christ and the communion table as a symbol and seal of that unity in Christ indicates to me that Paul is arguing that the poor should not be excluded, rather than arguing that young people should be excluded. And as best as I can tell, that is the only place in Scripture that would even mm-hmm. suggest that we exclude children from the communion table. So that's my biblical reason. You, know, you want me to, to wait till you get all three reasons? You want me to engage with each one as we go? Whatever you think. Are you ready to engage yeah, with me, that one? Let me, 
Yeah, I could talk about that one. Sure. I think that um, that yeah, that the the Corinthian letter is a little unique in that it really is a lot of correctives. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there really are some 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 strains going on in that congregation. Yeah. Um, I think that if uh, in that chapter eleven where he's talking more generally about worship and uh, what's appropriate, and then he goes into the Lord's Supper. I think that even though that 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 greater context is there, I think that some of the things that he says right in that passage make me think uh, more broadly than just uh, a rich person and a poor person in the conflict that they're having right there at, at in, in Corinth. Hmm. Um, so, so when it says in 28, you know, let a person examine himself, that's following uh, 27, where he says that if you eat and drink the cup in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of profaning it. Um, and so there's this idea that there is a right way and a wrong way to observe the supper generally, right? Um, and so uh, how how would a child know whether they are – you would have to argue that their parents would have to, to make that decision for them. Their parents would have to say that they are – eating and drinking in a worthy manner or not, right? Is that where you would... Well, um, no, because I still think that that, that when he brings up that point, when he brings up the Lord's Mm -hmm. Supper, this is in verse 17, he says, now the next issue I'm going to talk about, um, it sounds like y'all are not doing the Lord's Supper right. Verse 18, Mm -hmm. he says, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. Mm -hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and then he talks about in verse nineteen the divisions, and he right. says verse twenty is not the Lord's supper. You're not you're not you're not even eating the Lord's supper when you come together, mm-hmm. um, and then he goes on to talk about the next few verses is talking about the rich and poor. The rich are excluding the poor, mm-hmm. and so I think that that is the context. And so when he and says that they're observing it at different times, than, right? Than yeah, together they need to be and, doing it together. Right. So when it, when it gets to 23 and he says, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give to you what I receive from the Lord. Mm-hmm. You don't think that kind of makes a, a slightly more general shift to say, oh, we're talking about, and he gives the words of institution, right? Um, which I think kind of argues for a, just a more like, let me tell you more about just the Lord's Supper in general. And then I'll get back to, uh, you know, more specifics. Yeah, I think that because um, unity in Christ is the—and uh, people, the rich, excluding the poor, is the mm-hmm. immediate context in which he's writing this issue. And then immediately after he finishes talking about the Lord's Supper, he continues to go on and talk about the unity of Christ and the rich excluding the poor. To me, uh, to say that in the middle he's not talking about the rich excluding the poor— is missing the context. It's okay. We can disagree. That. We can disagree. But I—that's no, where I'm I see it. I'm not saying that. I don't want you to put words in my mouth. Okay. Okay. I'm not okay. Saying that he's not someone, I'm saying that that you can you can be in the middle of a context and then start making general statements and then go back to the specifics. That's true. And so the the fact that he's he's talking about the Lord's Supper. You know, let me tell you what what I got from Jesus. And yeah. Let's talk about the words of institution. And when he says, "Do this in remembrance of me." Yeah. Um, what What are we talking about here? That That seems to be like a bigger, a catch-all, and then the phrases that follow about about uh, doing it in a worthy manner, and then examining yourself and not eating or drinking judgment on yourself. It It all seems to imply that you need to have some mental facility involved in knowing what you're doing, um, and whether it's specifically rich and poor, or generally about any other way to profane or not examine or to not judge yourself. You need to be able to judge yourself so that you won't be condemned with the world, he says, right? Right, right. Yeah, that's right. And I think think that's right. He is talking about about that. But he's talking about uh, what he specifically says is, if you eat and drink unworthily, then you are not honoring the body of Christ. And I think he's using a kind of double entendre there, using... Um, the body of Christ referring to the unity of the body of Christ, which he's been talking about, as well as the bread, which is the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I think that that's more specifically talking about, I'm convinced that that's more specifically talking about, and I understand that not everybody is, that you're not, uh, but that's where, where I am. I, I, I don't know if, that's, if that makes sense to you. Oh, it absolutely makes sense. I just, okay. um, I'm just wondering 
when he's talking about examining yourself or judging yourself, uh-huh. um, how a child would do that, how a baby would do that. I don't think he's talking to children or babies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, he's talking specifically about those who are not uh, taking into account the body of Christ. Uh, n- namely, the unity that we have in the church. Um, so like in 31, and he says, if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. You, you think that is only implying to a rich person thinking about a poor person? Well, I think that we, there may be more, uh, we we can uh, apply it a little bit more broadly, but yes, he's talking about a specific pastoral situation. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So I also have a theological reason. Okay. And and the theological reason goes like this. Uh, Baptized children are members Mm -hmm. of the covenant community of the church. And communion is is the meal of that covenant community. There are really strong theological ties between communion and Passover. Right. Not least of which communion was instituted by the Lord at a Passover meal. And children participated in Passover. Children from the earliest age participated in Passover. And so then the question is, why would they be excluded from communion? Um, going from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, uh, everything becomes more inclusive, not less. Our entrance into the covenant community removed circumcision, which was for uh, males only, to right. baptism, which is for all people. Right. <clears throat> and so it's hard for me to see how this new covenant meal would be more exclusive than the old covenant meal. And that's the theological reason, the connection between the uh, communion and the Passover, which was for all, which was for the entire family, including children for sure. Mm-hmm. This was the point that uh, I was most um, intrigued by. Yeah. Because I do think Passover is a direct relation to uh, the supper. I yes. mean, Jesus institutes supper on the Passover as the Passover lamb. Yes. Right. Uh, he's he's basically uniting the that Old Testament sacrament and the New Testament replacement sacrament yeah. right there at that yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, and so I that this gives the most uh, room for me to pause and consider and say, okay, I'm pretty sure when they ate the lamb at Passover that that children who could chew their food were eating. Yeah. And participating. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and you're right. If I didn't have First Corinthians 11, I would, because of that, I would be inclined to say yes. Um, and so I, I'm much more sympathetic to this theological argument. Yeah, I guess yeah. when I'm standing up front watching over the table and I've done the words of institution and I've invited people to come and partake, there are, there are little kids who think it's snack time. And they, we have some tasty bread, and they just can't wait to shove that bread in their mouths. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and it the in First Corinthians eleven screams to me, right, um, and 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 it says uh, these kids don't know what they are doing. They don't know any of the the gravity of this. Yeah, and there's enough there's enough there in those verses for me to say um, they ought to know what's happening. Um, they don't. It doesn't mean. Uh, that it, that uh, like with baptism, they don't need to know what's happening for the means of grace to be available to them. And I know that's where you're going to head with that, right? That's I, one I place, but that's not the only thing. Yeah, I, I can I can um, I understand that part, right? Um, but when when there there's clear didactic uh, verses saying what he says to examine yourself, to understand whether you're profaning or not, to to judge yourself. Um, I, it's still just a, a sticking point for me. I, I can hear that you are trying to be very faithful to the text, and I hope that you can see that I am as well. But I will, yeah. what, what I will say is that I don't think that he's referring to children there. I think it yeah. doesn't, you know, the children in the Passover, uh, it's, you know, the, uh, specifically we're supposed to teach right. our children during Passover what this means it, to the level that they can understand. I hear you. I hear and you. So, I, I'm sympathetic to this point for sure. Yeah. 
And so, yeah. yeah, the fact that they can't understand it and they just think it's snack time, that doesn't bother me a bit if, if that's what's mm-hmm. appropriate for them. Honestly, I would say the same thing about handicapped people. Um, you know, mentally handicapped people, I'm sorry, uh, I should say it more specifically that way. If they, What does it mean that they can't understand? If they're part of the covenant community, then they're part of the covenant community, and the, and the covenant meal is for them as well. Let me give the historical reason, uh, my, last, uh, yeah. my final reason. As best as I can tell, and I have looked into the history quite a bit, um, children and certainly children, but, but there also does seem to be a few places where we can see babies, um, were receiving communion from the very earliest history of the church. At the, when, when the first opportunities that we see in church history where we've got uh, reference to children or babies receiving communion, they're always receiving communion. The Eastern Christians, um, and so this is the Orthodox churches, they've never changed this practice. They've been giving communion and still do now to an infant immediately after baptism. The, typically, in most of those churches, the priest will dip his pinky finger into the wine and yeah. allow a drop of wine to fall into the mouth of the newly baptized infant. And that's actually part of the baptism ceremony itself, um, that they would immediately begin to take communion. In the Western mm-hmm. church um, that was headed by Rome uh, in, the, in the early days, Communion was uh, restricted to only the clergy at some point in the early medieval period. In different parts of the Holy Roman Empire, it happened at different times. But uh, about that time, uh, you know, lay people were not good enough to receive communion. So only the priests would—the priests will take communion for you on your behalf. Um, Now, during the Protestant Reformation, and honestly also in the Roman um, (coughs) Counter-Reformation— Communion was returned to the laity, but it was at that time that it was not returned to the children. And because that's the history, it seems to me that there is, um, well, very clearly there's no universal practice about whether or not baptized babies should participate in communion. But from the earliest days, um, yeah, like for when, hundreds when of years... When did we years, first have any kind of record of that? It's a couple hundred years after Mm-hmm. It's a, it's in the first couple hundred years that we are giving um, uh, communion to babies, mm-hmm. but there's no reference to, to say that it didn't happen until we have a record of it. I think is impressive. There's no, you know, what did right, right. what did Peter do? Well, we don't know what Peter did. What did uh, Justin Martyr do? We don't know what he did because you know that that wasn't mm-hmm. written down. But at in the earliest days, earliest records we have. They were taking communion. And the Eastern Church is almost slavishly devoted to, uh, to their traditions. And they have always, always given communion to the little children. And so my understanding yeah. is, and in the Western Church, it seems like that was the case as well. The first time that we have recorded that lay adults take communion and lay children do not is in the Reformation. That's the first time. Mm-hmm. I think it's, um, I, I hear you. I think it's a less compelling argument because uh, what people do in history is um, doesn't mean they're doing it right. Um, I, I'm with you, you know, 100% there, yeah. but it does. But, but it's it, not nothing. It's, it's interesting. It's not nothing. It is interesting. It, it gives me pause when you think about um, the different types of government. Uh, you know, we believe in, in rule by elder, Presbyterian. Yes. There's no there's no hierarchy. But very early on in church history, there were bishops and uh, folks like that. And uh, that would certainly mean something to me more than, say, go to a congregationalist direction. Sure. Um, uh, but it's it 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 could be uh, we think it's an error. Right. And uh, this practice could have started up and and be an error just because it's been uh, recorded in history doesn't necessarily give it credence. But um, I think I like the theological argument best. Yeah. Um, I I have those, uh, I've made them in that order because I am most convinced by what I read in the Bible. And Mm -hmm. I am also fairly convinced by theology as I compare scripture with scripture, but less than what Mm -hmm. seems to me to be obvious in the Bible. And then less convinced by what history is saying. Uh, on the other hand, I think that 
the history is pretty strong. The idea that to say this is an anomaly view in the history of Christianity, that's just not true. In fact, it's a right. pretty mainstream okay. view in the history of Christianity. And it's it and we can't say that those people are all liberals or they're all don't care about scripture, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. it's a, it's, this is a, this is a legitimate view. So that, I think it helps that way. The theological reason I think is good. And then the biblical reason I, I can see both sides, but I'm more convinced that, that he's talking about a specific pastoral issue here. Yeah. Anyway, those are the reasons that I, um, and yet, uh, I am not so arrogant to say that I am absolutely right in everything. And so I'm part of a denomination that, um, disagrees with me, and I have never given—in uh, fact, I've had a couple times people have asked me um, to give their children communion, and, I, and I've declined to do that. And I'm glad you that know, I did, even though it felt weird. You know, it's interesting. I, um, you're not alone. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of guys who have this view. That's right. Um, there, there are a lot. Uh, and I was very much closer to it um, coming out of seminary and— uh, you know, be more rigorous in thought and study and all of those things. Uh, and then I had my own kids uh-huh. <laughs> and that, and that really gave me, um, a more pause to reconsider, uh, what is being communicated, uh, as far as discerning the body and the unity of the body and yeah, the, yeah. The, the gospel and, uh, having my own kids really, um, it, it pushed me back toward the, uh, the more conventional PCA view that, they need to be of some age and understanding. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the ability to profane something sacred is, uh, well, it's astronomical. The younger you get, <laughs> uh, if, if it involves mental facility. Yeah. Yes. I, I hear yeah. what you're saying. And, and I, I would push back and say, I think all of us profane these sacred things who in their right mind thinks that they understand the mysteries of communion? Uh, what is the line that we have to cross? And I guess sessions mm-hmm. make, you know, elders make those, you know, the, uh, right. a decision about what line has been crossed. But, oh my goodness, um, we pro- that's the whole point is that we profane these. Uh, let a person examine himself. I, th- I think he's, well, anyway, I, I've made my point. But, um, yeah, I think that it is uh, to exclude people from the covenant meal who are mm-hmm. members of the covenant is also a pretty grave thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all right. There's a weird view for you. The weird view of the day. I don't think it's that weird. Yeah, I don't think it's that weird. Okay. Um, yeah, I... Uh... It's it's the minority in our denomination, but um, it's uh, it's in other parts of the church at, at large, and um, I think I don't uh, uh, do most of the hierarchy churches agree with that. Eastern churches, uh, not Eastern, but Western hierarchy. Western churches all now pretty much they all exclude children. Hmm. So Anglicans and all. Uh huh. Catholics, they yep. all exclude. Yep. Yep, yep. Yep. So the um what do you think of the idea of confirmation? Oh, of confirmation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh I think it is a good idea. I like confirmation. Mm-hmm. But you don't see it connected to the supper at all. No. Well, mm-hmm. it is now. Uh the whole point of confirmation is that it's connected to the supper. Um yes, that's right. But I don't think that it should be. We need some, so we need some sort of, uh, you know, you've you've crossed the line, you've made so it, it's it's uh, we don't see it in scripture, but we feel like it needs to be something. Why? Because uh, we have, in my opinion, invented this thing that says there's a point of uh, baptism, and then all of a sudden there's this, uh, you know, you make a profession of faith and come. I don't see that in scripture. The, I mean, this is. I've given like the best place to say that, but I don't see confirmation mm-hmm. here. I don't see, uh, mm-hmm. you know, coming before the elders. You know, the, all that stuff is just we've just kind of made it up, and confirmation. It, yeah. But if we're going to do that, then I think that we should have some sort of ceremony around it. If we're if we're yeah. going to say 
that uh, we've got, you know, the little babies are second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven, which is, I think, what we're saying, then when they become full citizens, then we should have some sort of ceremony for that. Yeah. And that's confirmation. Mm-hmm. So if you if you think about our, um, our Baptist brothers and sisters uh-huh. who would disagree with infant baptism— Sure. Um, the the big reason is because the baby is not a facility, right? right they haven't right. given it. They haven't given a confession of yeah, faith, yeah, right. And so uh, we say, and we did that episode before, but we're you know uh, we say that that's not necessary for them to enter into the household of faith because yes. they've been born into it, right? Yes. And yes. and if you want to hear that episode, it's it's back in time there. You can look it up. Yeah, go look it up. Uh, we make our yeah, but so for me. When I have Corinthians 11, it does tell me of a—now, this one sacrament brings you into the household in terms of uh, community, and this other sacrament brings you into the depth of the gospel when you're ready. And so to me, the, the, a, quote, confirmation—we don't have confirmation, but we do have—you've uh, been invited to the table. That yeah. is our sort of confirmation. Yeah. And so to me, it fits very, very well, the idea that one sacrament you're, you're in generally, and the other one is, is more in tune with your application of the gospel. And that does involve, um, you know, the things that we mentioned. But yes, I appreciate I, so the, that's, a, that's a theological, the it's a theological argument that I th- in my opinion, has been built around um, an uh, interpretation of First Corinthians eleven, that is already, in my opinion, erroneous. So, I mean, we don't have that in the Old Testament, right? Once you're a member of the covenant community, you're a member of the covenant community. That's it. Mm-hmm. And there's no right. There's no. There's nothing else in Scripture. For me, if there's, uh, how can I say? For all the instructions that Paul gives in other places, in all the stories in the book of Acts, uh, in all the the uh, uh, references of John, and especially, I guess, in other Paul's other instructions about the Lord's Supper, or not instructions, but um, allusions to the Lord's Supper and talking about it, there is not a hint of separation or, or that, you know, when, when a person is old enough or when, you know, they're of age. There, there's just nothing. The, mm-hmm. the closest thing is... Uh, let a person examine himself. And so well, the entire... Uh, that whole passage there, that, not just that verse, but there's like four or five verses I would consider. Um, you know, you're uh, the proclaiming his death until he comes um, as a part of remembering him, right? That's before that verse. Remembering him and mm-hmm. proclaiming his death. That's That's like gospel... I'm claiming the blood of Christ over me. Um, and then, then to immediately go into it, that there's an op- option of doing that in an unworthy or profaning manner. Therefore, examine yourself. If you fail to do this, you could bring judgment on yourself. And if you judge yourself, again, mental facility, then you can avoid being judged. In other words, um, that, that, that whole passage there is... I mean, I wouldn't reduce it to just let a person examine himself. I think it's meatier than that. But I, I get the point that you're making in the context of Corinthians. I do. I just— Yeah, yeah. You know, what would yeah. you do with a with a uh, mentally handicapped adult? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I was thinking about that earlier when you when you made that point, because I do, um, I do believe that a session has to decide uh, what they're going to do with— um, minimal facility, right? Yeah, yeah. Mental facility. What? Uh, how are they going to? How are they going to do that? Um, and so, if they're, if it's extreme, um, and there's there's no there's no way to measure or quantify or anything else, I still would give them the supper. That's true. Um, if they're in a household of faith, just at, yeah, just like I know, yeah, I I think it's a good point. I think it's a good point that the the Old Testament has no um, has no parallel in terms of confirmation. Um, but along with things getting looser and freer and more inclusive, I think they can also, 
um, you can also argue that that the New Testament has much more depth, much more richness, and um, you know we we better understand the Trinity. We better understand so much yeah. that, that is complicating in terms of our mental ability. Yeah. Our, as yeah. far as you know, the theology, and so I think it's you know there's a there's room for there to be uh, ceremonial um, increases. Yeah given the the material the body of knowledge that we now have but sure i i hear what you're saying i hear what you're saying yeah and uh uh yeah i that that's fine and i i'm happy to submit i'm happy to be a part of this denomination in this way um i uh boy it it's one of those things where if i if i get to heaven right and god says hey uh you did this wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm not going to fall in a pile, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be like, well, okay, I thought I'm, I could have been doing it wrong, <laughs> but I really, you know, based upon this passage, you know, when I look at this, well, that I was, that was in a certain context, Dave. I'm like, I know Willie told me that, but, um, you know, <laughs> I was doing my best yeah, uh, to yeah. honor the scripture and in, in my understanding of it. So sure, sure. Um, we can, uh, we can hold this one loosely. Indeed. All right. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Good. There's Robust theological conversation. Don't get to have those very much anymore. I don't think there are a lot of people who care about theology. So if, if you were tuning out on this one, uh, hey, I apologize, but it's good for you. Um, you know, theology is, is the queen of the sciences. So Indeed. Um, Indeed. Try to engage in theology and not be embittered by it and um, <laughs> and <laughs> and be gracious to one another. Yes. Hey, this is William with the Hopper Podcast. If you're too conservative to be a liberal and too progressive to be a conservative, have we got news for you. We've broken free from the cultural and political narratives that dominate the landscape, and there are more of us than you might realize. Let's grow the Hopper Podcast. Find your favorite episode Click the share button to share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Thanks a bunch. Dave, I ran across a list of some really crazy town festivals recently, and some of them are absolutely hilarious, and I wanted to share some with you. Yeah, are these uh, are these in the states or all? Yeah, over the world? these are all in the United States, but they're uh, uh-huh. I, I've seen other lists of of ones. Maybe if this is uh, if you like this, maybe I'll I'll pick up some stuff from international. But these are all from the United States. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you the first one I want to tell you about is uh, in Florida, and it happens every July. It's the Underwater Music Festival. Have you ever heard of this? No. Yeah, no. Um, they've been doing this for over thirty years, and uh, they do it in the Florida Keys. And I used to live okay. pretty close to there in Miami. Right. And right. you can go on it's a it's a celebration of the coral reefs and then you come you go underwater and they play songs underwater. Like and specifically like underwater songs. They'll play like Yellow Submarine and okay. The Little Mermaid and this sort of thing. Like in speakers. Um and so you it's so divers and uh people who are having fun, they dress up. Like mermaids or or uh, in scuba gear or stuff, and they just uh, go under the water and listen to the music. Wow, that sounds I've like never fun. Heard of such a thing. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, that's every what is it? Every July, every July. Down in the keys. Down in okay. the keys. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let me tell you about another one. This is in Ohio. Yeah. In Ohio, in June every year is the Duct Tape Festival. Okay. The duct tape festival. The, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the, the specific brand, uh, a duck brand, duct tape, uh, ha- they have their headquarters in Ohio, which, uh, okay, ah, so, so that's what yeah. they're trying to do. And so, yeah. uh, and every year, um, 60,000 people come to Avon, Ohio. There are all kinds 60, of- 60,000. All kinds of rides, a big parade- um, you can uh-huh, make arts uh-huh. and crafts, and everything is duct tape oriented. They have a fashion okay. show um, with wedding gowns and all kinds of stuff, all made from duct tape. Uh-huh. Are the rides held together with duct tape? Yes, everything. <laughs> everything <laughs> so, is duct tape. They have a. Sounds, they have, like, sounds 
Sounds like you're taking your life in your hands. You I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they yeah. have a giant outdoor movie theater. They've got a circus. They've got a car show and concerts and stuff. I don't know what all mm-hmm. is duct tape. Like everything that possibly could be duct tape is made of duct tape. I remember seeing yeah. years ago um, a picture that someone sent me of a uh, high school couple that was going to the prom and they were both dressed completely in duct tape. Yeah, yeah. Where it's clothing, where it's like uh-huh. uh, like colors because they come in different colors. Yeah. So it's not sure. if they're not duct taping and... it to themselves to their bodies, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's but you know you can uh, you can actually have fashion and stuff. It's crazy what they do yeah. with duct tape. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. there's a whole hey, festival the for belt? it. Where's the seatbelt for this uh, roller coaster? Oh, we're gonna tape you in. <laughs> we're gonna tape you in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man, no, I don't know about that. Hey, that's that sounds quackers. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. All really. right, Dad. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's really bad. Uh, give me another one. Okay, here's another one. Uh, in July every year in California, there is um, this isn't exactly a festival, but it, it it sort of is the mooning of the Amtrak. No one knows exactly okay. where it started, but. Um, a lot of people believe it started back in 1979 with a guy named K.T. Smith, and he told his friends that he would buy the next drink uh, for everyone who ran outside and mooned the next train, pulled their okay. pants down, mooned the next yeah. train. Yeah. And and it, it was such a big story that he did it again the following year, and it has grown in more and more popularity and mm-hmm. so much so that Amtrak is starting, they sell tickets to go past this place um, specifically to get mooned. Okay. Um, so then, so the hundreds and hundreds of people do this. I don't know how many it is now, but um, there's all kinds of activities. There's street vendors, wet t shirt contests, um, I mean, just all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, every July, let's see, in. At the Mugs Away Saloon in Laguna Niguel, California. Okay. Um, on the well, second hey, Saturday in July. I can tell you, growing up on the Rappahannock River in Virginia, yeah, that anything that went by on the river got mooned. <laughs> I mean, that's just you know, just par for the course. That's every day, huh? Yeah, yeah. Here's a riverboat all summer. Well, if you're out, if you're out there playing on the river and you see a riverboat go by, you you. You know, there's a full moon out. It's an obligation, huh? Yeah. Oh, there's some canoers. Moon. Moon. The whole boat. Yeah. Anyone who's on the boat, huh? No, not on the boat. On who's ever standing on the river, who's on the shore, if a boat goes by, they get mooned. Oh, I see. Everyone on the shore yeah. gets mooned. Well, or just playing in the river. They're swimming in the river. They're hanging yeah, off some tree vine. You know, they're just okay. They're they've got a little fire going there, sitting there drinking some beer or something like that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. A, a boat goes by. Uh, they're getting mooned. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this one makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. Well, in California, yeah, they no, do it no, as a no, festival. And the train's capitalizing on it, huh? Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. selling tickets for it. All right. If you want to see you people's... Oh, I have, um, uh-huh. but we I did it a whole bunch in college in, in the dorm. Uh, yeah. And we would... Uh, yeah, we did some... Uh, we, we'd wake people up. Um, in the middle of the night, <laughs> and mm. you know those kinds of things. Anyway, yes. Let me tell you about another one in uh, in July in Michigan, in Yale, Michigan, which is I think a pretty okay. small town. Um, yep. They have the Bologna Festival. Okay. It's the annual Yale Bologna Festival, and it is three days to celebrate Bologna. <laughs> 20,000 people come. A whole 20,000 20, people? 20,000 people come to celebrate bologna. For three days. For three days. Yeah. I can't eat bologna three days. I'm sorry. <laughs> there's a, there's a, <laughs> My body would revolt. Um, people race homemade outhouses. Apparently that's a big event. I, I don't <laughs> no, want... That's fitting. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it makes <laughs> I like sense. The sound of that. Uh, yeah. They have um, a parade with dancing and fireworks. Um, during the parade, the king and queen of Bologna wave and they greet their admirers. It's a it's apparently a big deal. Uh huh. Are there any rats involved? 
I don't know. There's got to be, surely. Hmm. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm making fun of bologna, but a fried bologna sandwich That's with good mustard stuff. and white bread. Yeah. When I was growing That's up, uh, bologna was the main meat we had. It was either peanut yeah. butter and jelly sandwiches or bologna sandwiches. Right. And if and if, uh, and if if the schedule wasn't good for my parents at work, then it'd be ketchup sandwiches. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, yeah. In August... Uh, if in in Wisconsin, you can go to the Cow Chip Throw Festival. Oh yeah, I've heard of this one for a long time. Yeah, it's been going on for a very long yeah. time. Um, you are not allowed to wear gloves, uh, but you you can go and pick up your uh, a great cow chip uh-huh. and see how far you can throw it. There's arts yeah. and crafts, games for the kids, music, a beer garden. There's a 5K run. But the but the cow chip throw that's that's the big thing. the The current yeah. record in the state is two hundred and forty eight feet. Two hundred and forty eight feet. That's crazy. That's amazing. That's a that's a you know that's a frisbee. That's a disc. Yeah. Are are there hand washing stations too? Uh, I don't know. There should be. <laughs> there should be. Good grief. That's really far. That's that's a. I mean, that's someone who's who's bringing a file and and getting it aerodynamically exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. They're they're really fine tuning that cow chip. Wow, it's a powerful discus throw there. Then I got one that your your kids might want to go to in Ohio, in August in Twinsburg, Ohio. It's the annual Twins Day Festival. Oh. Okay. It started 43 years ago for twins all around the world to gather together and to celebrate their unique togetherness. That's according to their website. Um, it's so fraternal and identical, huh? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. And so apparently thousands of sets of twins come. Um, they often dress up based on the theme of the festival. Um, mm-hmm. They have, And so there's um, a wiener roast, there's cornhole, volleyball, a talent contest, um, and there's all different kinds of uh, uh, contests for the twins. They can enter divisions based on themes or on age. The peop- uh, those that look the most alike, those that look the least alike, uh, and those kinds of things. Anyway, uh, just a whole bunch of a big celebration of twins in Twinsburg, Ohio, every August. You know what I found out when I became the father of twins? What's that? There are terms in different languages uh, to refer to me, father of twins. Uh, there's an African term. Um, there is a Hebrew term. Um, it's different uh, people, than father? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, huh. it's got its own unique little designation. I'm in, a, I'm in a little special group, I guess, of father of twins. Yeah. Some, some languages have a name for that. Okay. Interesting. Um, I don't. I don't know any of them. <laughs> I couldn't remember them. They're yeah. They're hard to. Yeah, well, you should learn. Yeah. You should learn them. I should. I guess. Every September in West Virginia, you can go to a cook-off that only allows meat that's commonly found on the side of the road: groundhog, possum, <laughs> rabbit, crow, squirrel, snake. These are the the kinds of things. Twenty thousand people come. Uh, oh man, I'm not eating any crow. I mean, I, I have to eat <laughs> metaphorical crow all the time. Yeah, right? that's bad enough. I, I'm not going to eat some some oily crow bird meat. That's that's really disgusting. That's pretty bad. Yeah, possum others, seems rough too. Yeah, some of those sound pretty pretty bad, but the crow sounds the, the crow's worst. the worst. What, crow's the what worst. What sounds worse to you, possum? No, crow. Crow is the worst for yeah. sure. Yeah. I remember when I was in um, in high school. I remember there was a kid in school. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how it all happened. He was only in our school for one semester, but uh, he lived most of his life in uh, Appalachia, in the mountains of Tennessee. Um, which I was in Chattanooga, and so he was further east, And uh, but he was, for some reason, a semester there. And I remember him breaking uh, to school for lunch. He brought his own lunch of rattlesnake. Mm. And it was a section yeah. of rattlesnake. It wasn't just the meat. It was like, uh, you know, they cooked a rattlesnake yeah. and then took cut it in pieces. And cut it in pieces. And so there was this cylinder, 
you know, that had the spine through yeah. the middle of it. And that's what he was, he was pulling it apart with his hands and eating it. Oh my gosh. I, I hear that tastes like chicken. I'm sure it does. Uh, I've never had snake. I, I have had alligator. I've had alligator. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, they say it tastes like chicken, but eh. I don't think alligator does. That's what people say, but I, I didn't, I didn't find See, it tasting I think much like chicken. And... I don't either. I, I, not alligator. I thought, I, I, it seems to me that the whole idea of everything tastes like chicken is because uh-huh. you haven't had anything else, uh, any other meats. And so you don't know how or, to distinguish. Yeah. You know, or when it's I first. Like a white, white yeah. meat type of thing. It's a white meat. When yeah. I first started drinking wine, when I first started drinking beer, like they all, all wines, red wines, white wines, I could tell the difference immediately. But distinguishing distinguishing between different red wines or distinguishing between different white wines, I couldn't tell the difference. Same thing with beers. Now I can tell a huge difference. So when someone says, yeah. "Oh, that just tastes like chicken," that tells to me tells me that they haven't had a a wide palate in terms of meat. Yeah, you just hear that all the time. Yeah. Turtle, I forget turtles and yeah, frog legs and yeah, uh, pretty much all your reptiles. Right. Right. <laughs> Okay, so let me give yeah. you uh, one more, and that is in North Carolina in September, Bugfest. Yeah, yeah. This is all. This is in Raleigh, and it is held at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Science, and it is uh, an annual festival. It draws about thirty-five thousand people, and it's bug-themed everything you can possibly imagine, but the main event. Is the cafe, yes, which so has people have got to be eating these things, eating, right? Yes, and yeah. so there's tons and tons of dishes prepared by local chefs to eat bugs. So tell me, is, uh, you know, bugs kind of a somewhat nondescript term. Is it insects or does it include things like worms and it probably that's a good question. I think it probably includes worms, but certainly insects. Um, are, uh-huh. it, it would it would. I haven't been to sure. it, and I don't have a lot of information here. But my understanding is that Americans are pretty much the only culture that don't eat insects regularly uh-huh. of some sort, hmm. in some way. Um, well, that, on pur- hard to, imagine. to say on purpose, yeah. <laughs> on purpose. We eat lots of, you know, uh, right, right. there are insects in your ketchup for sure, um, spiders uh, in your ketchup. They're ground up, uh, but they're in there. Uh but yeah, uh, lots and lots of cultures eat insects um, as such. Yeah, yeah. I I had a debate one time with one of our seminary professors who said he eats a lot of bugs and they're loaded with protein. And I said I think most of the protein in them is chitin, which is not digestible. And he said, "Oh, that, I'm telling you, they're full of protein." I was like, "Well, they might be full of protein, but if you can't digest it, uh, you know, it's just." It's just sure. fiber. It's just going on through. But um, I would imagine yeah, it that, depends on, you know, different insects. And maybe this is the different stages. You know, what about the larva? Is that different than? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the larva for sure would have more available protein. Well, once you have like an exoskeleton, that's that's all protein, but it's not. It's chitin, you know. It's Sure. But then some insects yeah. have, of course, have the exoskeleton, but then they also have a, a fair amount of stuff inside. I can think about like big yeah. camel crickets yeah. and stuff where, yeah, yeah, even if the exoskeleton is uh, undigestible, fiber is not bad for you. It's actually very good for you. But there's yeah, a there's a big meaty uh, body there that's got a lot of stuff in it. Yeah. The, um, uh, hmm. <laughs> Usually when I smash a bug, uh-huh. Of any kind. Yeah. I don't see a lot of like meat. Well, um, okay, not meat, sorry. Yeah. I say meaty but, I, in not in not muscle. There's probably some, but there's stuff yeah. there's, you know, like digestive tubes kind of thing you're talking about that kind of stuff like Yeah, and there's stuff of, in there yeah, that probably is digestible. And, yeah. Yeah, that that have some protein in. And, and you got to eat a whole bunch of them. Some form of nutrition. Yeah. yeah. You got to eat a whole bunch of them, but they're pretty plentiful, you know, uh you could yeah. eat you, you, you know, how many crickets would it take to, you know, you cook them up with some oil and, uh, uh-huh. you know, you could, eat 50, mm. you could eat 50 for a meal maybe. And there's probably good nutrition in there. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know uh, that the the protein in earthworms is uh, there's a higher and more bioavailable amount in earthworms than in beef or chicken or the, the typical foods that we eat is for that protein. Right? Okay. Uh-huh. Yep, you can get more protein pound for pound eating earthworms. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I don't know if that would be considered part of the bugs for Bugfest. I don't yeah. think I don't think worms are bugs, but uh, you know maybe I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the. Is there a scientific definition for bug? I don't think there is. I don't think so. I don't. I don't think so either. I think it's just a generic term. Yeah, uh, I could be wrong about that. I, I know there are some insects or things that are called bugs. That's part of their name. Yeah, you know, ladybug. Ladybug. For yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know about the the, the term bug per se right um now I, I have been waiting for some bodybuilder um uh, you know some some guy wins a bodybuilding competition people want to know what he ate um you know if you're if you're yeah. lifting weights and growing lean weight you know what what, what what were you eating were you eating uh uh sweet potatoes and uh chicken were you eating rice yeah uh, you know what, what was your fuel what you put in your body i'm waiting for someone to say my protein was earthworms hmm. <laughs> I want, I want, so if you're out there and you're an inspiring bodybuilder, I want you to, to make it off of earthworms and tell the world about it. And from if, if it's true what you're saying, I have no reason to doubt you, uh, yeah. it's going to be more efficient. And you might save a lot of money. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah, just go down to the bait store yeah. and, and get you some earthworms. Yeah. yeah Up until market. now, yeah. like the really cool, like if you're really going to be macho bodybuilder, it's the raw eggs. That's what Rocky did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good old Rocky. <laughs> well, hey, those are interesting. Thanks for bringing them up. Sure enough. Uh, maybe we'll go to one of those one of these days. Yeah. Yeah, why not? I'm not going to eat a bunch of bugs, but. Thanks for listening to the Hopper Podcast. Let's keep the conversation going about things that matter and things that don't. Write us at thehopperpodcast at gmail.com or record a short voice memo on your phone and send it to thehopperpodcast at gmail.com. Join us next time when we will discuss how to make artisan glue out of horses. Oh, boy. Don't let my daughter hear this. All right. Uh, I'm sure you know someone who needs to listen to the Hopper. Not your daughter, but somebody. Yeah, be a pal and share the Hopper goodness. Send them a link. And if they still don't listen, well, make them listen to Tyra Banks talk until they've had enough. Oh, that won't take long. Yeah, they'll comply. Uh Uh-huh. And be sure to subscribe or follow. Special thanks this week goes to our speechwriter, Audrey Marks. (laughs) Audrey Marks. Thank you, Audrey.